Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We now return to Tampa Bay's number one morning show, The Mike Countess Show. Straight up 9 o'clock on The Mike Countess Show. It's 102.5 The Bone. Let's go to the hotline. You see, you thought it wasn't going to happen, but it is going to happen. And welcome to the show. This is Steve Shippy. Steve, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Uh, I am doing great. Uh, Steve has got a show that is airing on Sunday, and it's going to be on the Travel Channel. It's called Shock Docs Michigan Hell House. And Steve is a paranormal uh, guy, a guy who goes and, and investigates these sort of things, and he is... You're credited with discovering this uh, Michigan Hell House, correct? Uh, yes, sir. Now, uh, it, before we get to that, I was reading your bio, and it said that you had an extreme haunting as a child. Can you explain to us what that was that got you interested in doing this? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So the childhood home I grew up in, we had a lot of uh, very interesting things happening there. Uh, kind of a gamut of things, but to kind of summarize it, you know, we see shadows disembodied voices uh knocking on the the doors knocking on the walls uh, objects would come up missing from time to time basically that graduated uh after a certain period of time where kind of became a little bit physical uh some scratches uh the bed would shake at night things of that nature uh, a few people were pushed and then ultimately got to the point where uh we decided it was time to leave I'm I'm uh, I I don't have a lot of belief in these sort of things, but I'm not discred- trying to discredit you. I am also scared crapless of these sort of things, even though I'm not really sure what it is. I think at the end of the day, I think it probably has something more to do with an energy that we don't understand, or or a transfer of energy when somebody dies that we don't quite understand, but could do very well be paranormal activity because of that. So. At this point, I would be so scared that I would move and never want to do anything again. But for some reason, you decide to be the guy that goes and investigates more of these things. You weren't afraid of this? Well, you know, definitely, you know, as a child, I was. I mean, at at the time, I would have been around six, you know, as far as when I could really remember, you know, the heyday of this situation, so to speak. But, um, you know, I think when things like this happen to a person, there's typically two responses. You know, one of them is to... Uh, get away from it, never want to experience it again, hope it never happens again. Um, some don't even like to speak of it because they think it'll perhaps invoke it to uh, reoccur. Yeah, but that's then I how think, I feel you know, about talking to you today. Like, I feel like uh, you're transferring <laughs> it on to me now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, I think on the other side, you know, the coin, you get to where you kind of get a little bit fascinated, you know, because once you know that these things do happen, it, it just it changes your perspective on everything. And basically, you have even more questions, uh, you know, about, I guess, life uh, than, than you did previously. And, you know, um, you hit on a great point, too, when you're talking about a transference of, of energy and things of that nature, because that has a lot to do uh, with uh, this case, the Michigan Hell House. We uh, were able to interview a gentleman that was a uh, professor and a psychologist involved in this case brought in by the Michigan State Police when they finally realized that what was happening was truly paranormal in nature. Uh, they brought out a team from Duke University 
uh, to study the phenomenon, and uh, they go uh, quite a bit into uh, what a poltergeist is and the theory of it. And uh, this this university believes largely that a lot of paranormal activity that people experience is actually a human phenomenon. Um, so that's that's one element to this case. What do you, what do you mean a human ph- like? How is that related? I don't understand what that means. Sure. Okay. So uh, you know, according to some experts in the field, when there's poltergeist type activity, uh, which a lot of people have a different definition of what that is. Uh, people see the movie Poltergeist and kind of think that that's what it is. You know, hundreds of spirits uh, wreaking havoc on the home. Not necessarily so at all. Uh, typically, a poltergeist, which is actually a German word for noisy ghost, is when people are experiencing anomalous activity, uh, things flying off the table, uh, outbursts of energies, um, you know, random bizarre things, things levitating and then just dropping back down. They believe that that's actually caused uh, subconsciously uh, by human energy. Ah. And they refer to the people that are the, the cause of it as a poltergeist agent. And, of course, there's a lot of different theories to why uh, certain people have this happen to them for a short burst of time. That's See, that's quite interesting because, if I, I mean, I, they always say we only unlock the small portion of our brain and that there's some people that could actually do more and levitate things and that. So it could be uh, something that we have trapped inside ourselves that's causing those things to happen. That would make a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. and from all the different studies, I mean, they've been studying poltergeist activity for quite some time, and it's really fascinating some of the theories, actually, that they've developed by looking at the data and looking for patterns. Um, it seems that, you know, of course, not limited to, but largely a poltergeist agent, you know, a.k.a. the person that seems to have the activity surrounding them, is usually a younger adolescent individual, uh, largely female, and it seems to be uh, when they're going through a lot of trauma, a traumatic experience, and sometimes it, it's almost that the family dynamic as a whole um, is playing a part of this. You know, if there's a lot of tension in the house or uh, whatever the case may be, uh, that's when it seems most often that these things happen, but not always, but mostly. Do you believe, what do you think happens uh, during exorcisms and people who are supposedly possessed? Do you believe in that, or do you think that's a mental thing? Uh, or do you think, like, I mean, that's something where obviously the human is manifesting those sort of reactions to something, but is that mental, or do you believe something is, is possessing them? Um, so I believe both, actually. I mean, I've seen cases where I do believe it, it was more the individual, and I wasn't uh, necessarily satisfied that it, that it could have been something inhuman or, or demonic in control of the individual. Uh, but I've also been present for exorcisms where you do see and experience things that you cannot explain. Um, you know, certainly uh, I, I recall one in particular where an individual uh, was really screaming and kind of carrying on. And, you know, and I'm just kind of observing while the exorcist is doing what, what they're doing. And uh, what was really interesting is there was one point for about 10 seconds where it truly seemed that this person was speaking uh, two different ways at the same time. I know that sounds very bizarre, yeah. but you could hear a lower, raspier voice almost saying something different, and then you could hear their high-pitched screams at the same time. And I was, you know, only a few feet away, and I could clearly tell it was it was coming from them, and I just thought that was very... I, I guess that kind of impacted me the most, uh, despite everything else that was taking place. Yeah, also, there's, uh, you know, you watch these stupid preachers on TV, and they're speaking in tongues, and they're just gibberish so they can get money out of dumb people. But when you get a, when you get a woman who even if she's mental, but she starts speaking Aramaic and something she couldn't have learned, then you have to wonder how that's happening. 
Yeah, I mean, I've definitely witnessed some things like that, you know, that really, really make you wonder at that moment what's really happening here. You know, and, and sometimes, you know, they'll, we, when you're watching these things take place, sometimes they'll sharply kind of look at an individual in the room and they'll start saying some really nasty personal yeah. stuff. Nope. And you kind of have to wonder, I mean, is that, you know, is that true? You know, you don't really stop afterwards and say, hey, uh, hey, John, uh, is, is that true? You know, yeah. but, you know, you just kind of look at the way that the person's reacting to it. You kind of wonder, all right, what's what's really happening right now? Dude, I, I don't know what it is, but that's one of the things in scary movies that always scares me when whatever the whatever the victim of an exorcism or something is, when they slowly turn and look at somebody right in the face. I don't know. I, I couldn't, I'm interested in all this stuff, but I'm too much of a chicken to actually be involved in it. We're talking to Steve Shippey. Steve is a documentary film producer and a paranormal investigator, and he's got a show on the Travel Channel. It's a, a two-hour documentary called Shock Docs, Michigan Hell House. Now, I grew up in New York. I'm familiar with the Amityville Horror House. We also had a, a couple of, small houses in the area where I live that were always had some sort of story behind them that whether Cropsy. it was true or Cropsy, yeah, yeah, we had that too. When I was up in uh, Louisville, I went through the uh, Waverly Hills Sanatorium. Oh, which... see, you're insane. I, you... <laughs> it was uh, freaky. Uh, so explain to us, uh, if you can, what the Michigan Hell House is. Yeah, sure. And just so you know, actually, uh, one of the, the members of uh, the Duke University team that came out here, he was also involved in the Amityville case, um, yeah. the house on Ocean Avenue. Yeah. But you, so, you know, you brought up a degree of skepticism at the beginning of the call. And I, and I think that for people that have that, which is a great thing to have, uh, this case, I think, would be right up their alley because, you know, one of the most intriguing elements of the Michigan Hell House is this case, I, I definitely will say, is the greatest paranormal story in history you've never heard of. And, and, you know, I say that, uh, very passionately. It's a bold statement to make, but let me, I'll give you some, some reasons why I say that there was over 100 uniformed officers involved in this case. Officers over a hundred, the local police department, the sheriff's department, then it graduated to the Michigan state police, several divisions of the state police, and even some federal involvement as well. There were stakeouts conducted, on this house, uh, when the police started to realize that this was actually happening in front of their eyes. And when I say this, I mean what they refer to as explosions in the house, uh, the house shaking, the plaster cracking, fires erupting in the house. We even have a report, I have it right here actually, that says that the origin of the fire was humanly impossible in nature. This is a Michigan state fire marshal putting this in a report. Uh, Again, stakeouts, I, at one point when they saw it was happening, they thought, okay, you know, because officers are not going to run out and just say, hey, this is paranormal. So they spent almost a year before they concluded that it was. So they thought, okay, what's really happening? This family must be doing this somehow. They're, maybe they're doing it for attention. We don't know. So they started staking them out. They literally polygraphed every member of the family. We have their polygraph reports as well. All of them were telling the truth. It goes on and on and on and on. They so, did every possible diligence the, they could do. The skeptic in me is going to be like, uh, I don't know, maybe it's not the family. Michigan, in some places, you can't even drink the goddamn drinking water. So maybe there's some sort of gas or something underneath the house. But if you have a fire inspector coming in and doing a full inspection and not being able to find something as simple as that, then you have to wonder what could be the origin of this. 
Well, it's funny you see you, you bring up the, uh, I mean, I, I know in a comical sense, but you bring up the gas. Well, they, they explore that. They brought out the gas company. They brought out the electric company. They brought out seismographs to see if there possibly could have been some kind of fault line activity. Could there have been an old mine under the house right. that was causing the tremors? Uh, they did. They at one point they even went as far as to saying when they when the police were there and they were experiencing the house shaking and, and everything cracking, they thought, okay, uh, well, recently an airport got put in about 15 miles away. Could it possibly be the radar? We have the records here. The FAA came out to evaluate and examine the situation and said, no, it's not possible. I mean, literally, when I tell you the links they went to, over 1,000 reports we have. There's probably more, but we've obtained over 1,000 reports. Now, uh, what's the time period that this is going on? 1974 to 1975. So in 75, I don't want to blow it if this is blowing the ending, but did they... Did the family move out? Like, I mean, I don't, I mean, I stay in a place, two fires. That's my limit before I leave. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, they experienced three. Um, finally, after the, the third and final fire that almost took the house completely down, <laughs> they got to the point where they finally fled the house. Now, do we follow up with them in the in the show and find out, like, uh, you know, in the Poltergeist, the movie, which uh, clearly is a movie, but they, uh, you know, they it follows them wherever they go. Uh, do they, I mean, that's how I would feel. I would feel like if we go anywhere else, we're not safe. It's, it could be one of us. Yeah, well, we definitely follow up, you know, with the family. Um, it, they're, they're greatly involved in the case. I'll, I'll tell you one thing that's actually not in the documentary that did happen. And, and, I, and I do have it on film, which I find beyond fascinating. Uh, while we were interviewing them at their current home, there was two loud knocks that came right from the room itself somewhere we don't know uh, all of us were sitting at a very small dinette table mm-hmm. nobody was moving at all uh we did capture that on film and i thought that was pretty fascinating because that's actually how this case started um as simple as knocking and pounding on the house uh this went on for several months and they were calling the police night after night uh, and that's when it ultimately graduated into way worse things as what we just talked about I don't know. I don't know what I would do because I'm not a guy who who believes in God. I'm not a guy who believes in the devil. And I think there's some science behind all of this stuff. But I also don't like to be a pain. You know, have a pain in the ass thing going on. If I hear knocking in my house, I don't care who is doing it. It's going to drive me nuts after a while. And I don't even know that I'd call the police. I don't know who I'd call. You know, it's funny you say that. Maybe you know, dealing with all these different you know officers, you know, the individuals that you know that are still alive a lot of them have passed on unfortunately because there were a lot of them were in their you know their mid-40s back in the 70s but also a lot you know are still here today and when we talked to all of them they almost kind of all start off saying i never believed yeah. in any of this until you know and it's it's interesting because um you know I, I think for individuals like that who only go off of evidence uh for them to experience that i think it, it changed a lot of people's uh lives ultimately the the uh, show uh, Shock Docs the Michigan Hell House is on the Travel Channel on Sunday at nine p.m. Steve, what is the one thing that you've seen while being a paranormal investigator that's genuinely scared you? One thing, well, you know, I mean, one thing that that I think still gets me to this day is when you're kind of meandering around a dark house and and kind of calling out and things like that, and something just kind of, you know whips across the room or, or something just flips over that you know isn't possible. That's always kind of jarring, I yeah. think, because you never know it's going to happen. But I think the scariest thing I've ever seen 
I guess with my own eyes as far as something manifesting was uh, something really dark that we'd seen at an old farmhouse, actually, that um, kind of ran and scurried across the floor. It almost looked like somebody on their hands and knees, but a little bit more animalistic than that. Uh, when we saw that, that was certainly one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. Where was that? What what state was in it? Uh, that was here in Michigan, actually, when okay. that happened. Do you recall, I don't know, you might be too young, probably about... 20 years ago I was doing morning radio on a country station and they were uh, there was a farm in South Carolina that was on the burial grounds, no, I'm sorry, it was on a um, some sort of outskirts of a Civil War battleground and there was a lot of soldiers believed to have died in that area and this woman was claiming that her barn was haunted so I was like great we should go up there and do a show from there so we did and I gotta tell you there were there was a lot of it where I was like, this lady's got bad teeth. She looks like she might be on meth. It was a little bit weird. But then we went in that barn and heard noises that I, that I'd never heard before. Like it sounded like a man laughing. And uh, you know there was they weren't getting any money out of it. There was no reason for them to fake this kind of stuff. Plus they didn't look smart enough to do it. But there was something going on in that barn. I don't know what it could be. And then she claimed to have been hanging laundry and seen Civil War soldiers walking around. I mean that stuff. That sounds to me like if there is a transfer of energy when you die, those are people who are just stuck here for some reason. Yeah, I do recall hearing about that case. And, yeah, you know, that that really does happen. I mean, you know, we look at it like this, I guess. I mean, as long as we've been on this planet, we have a lot of information, a lot of knowledge. But at the same time, we have nothing. Does that make sense? No, it totally makes sense. Yeah, like you you said earlier, we use a minute percentage of our, of our, of our brain and even understanding really what it's capable of or things of that nature. And I, and I do believe that uh, no matter what a person's religious views are, I think we all can agree that we, we are energy, you know, we're our, our soul, if you will, our intelligence is almost electrical in nature in a sense, kind of captured in this uh, uh, flesh container. And yeah. um, I think that when we pass, that has to go somewhere. Um, Maybe for some people it, it, it moves on and, and that intelligence goes uh, wherever it is supposed to go, rather it becomes kind of part of the ether or whatnot. And I think sometimes it can uh, kind of remain on site. Um, maybe there's different factors of why that is. But, you know, there's, yeah. there's questions out there that we're looking for uh, answers. And it, and it could respond, like in, in some religions, that is a, a purgatory. It's an area where you're trapped in until you can get to heaven and people make up stories and excuses for that i don't know what the answer is but certainly investigating it is interesting and fun to watch uh the show airs sunday on the travel channel it's called shock docs michigan hell house steve shippy is the documentary filmmaker you could see him on there as he's investigating and uh you know a lot of this stuff is easy to blow off but when you involve the police the faa the duke university investigating team i mean these are serious people that are trying to find answers to uh what possibly could be going on it makes it very interesting steve it's great to talk to you this morning spanish you have a question i do i do steve i this may sound like a really dumb question but i'm going to ask it anyways all I, your questions are i dumb. probably but i always hear like a lot of these uh spirits or whatever are trapped here because they died in a gruesome way or they were stuck because of a lot of negative energy have you ever approached any of this stuff with more positive energy or, or like love so to speak does that ever help you, yeah, no, actually, that's a, that's a great uh, a great question, and and I think that's uh, something that is very helpful in a case like that. We we have investigated some pretty gruesome cases. Um, you know, I, I can think of a, a case in Hebron, Kentucky, that we did uh, where 
there was a really brutal murder that had taken place. And uh, anytime that we deal with a case like that, we, we often say, you know, many, many times uh, we try to tell them that, uh, you know, we understand uh, to the best of our ability and we, we try to offer love and compassion. Uh, we try to ask the spirits any questions. Is, is there anything we can do to help you move on? Uh, do, is there something that you want known about what happened to you that night? that can help you rest in peace. And, and I think that offering some kind of love and light into a situation like that can definitely uh, only help. What if you try to kiss a ghost? <laughs> I would, what is, yeah, no. I listen. I love my grandmother more than anybody, but the day that I'm sleeping and I hear, Michael, come and make a canola. I'm like, nope, I don't want, I don't want to see anybody. I don't want to see anybody. If you're dead, you're dead. Don't come to me. I, I certainly don't do it at night. Do it during the show. So uh, there's a lot of people around. Steve, good to talk to you, my man. Good luck. And uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm already sleeping by the time it comes on, and I'm too scared to watch it. But I'll make my wife watch it and explain it to me the next day. Okay. All right, pal. Take it easy. Thank you for the call. Steve uh, Shippy, his show is on the Travel Channel on Sunday. Uh, Michigan Hell House. Listen, I've made my beliefs very clear on this show, but when you involve uh, the the fire marshal doing an investigation because right away you hear spontaneous combustion. I think there's some sort of pockets of gas in the air, but when you have a fire marshal, that's what they do. And if they find nothing and then Duke, one of the most prestigious universities in the country sends a team over there and they can't figure it out. Then they start reaching out. Well, maybe the, the airport the FAA comes when we got nothing. And then a thousand police reports. I mean, you get to the point where you go, okay, maybe I don't believe in ghosts, but something is happening here. And when you can't figure it out, uh, that is that is interesting, and who knows what finding out the answer to this question may unlock for everything else. Uh, all right, well, good. Just stay away from me, ghost. I don't mm. want you. I don't want to meet you. Go to Spanish's house. Get yeah, the yeah. love from him. Please, so. please, I offer it. Yeah. Uh, oh, the White House finally said that there are no air for UFOs. This is not an alien invasion. Yeah, sure. Thank you. I feel so much better. <laughs> all right, we got to take a break. When we come back from the break, we're going to play a little. Whose tweet is it? An opportunity for us to give several things away including tickets to see our friend Bert Kreischer this Friday at Emily Arena and a show that is practically sold out. We'll do that next on 102.5 The Bone. You're listening to Tampa Bay's most listened to morning show, The Mike Caltas Show on 102.5 The Bone. And now, another bone traffic update from the Safe Touch Security Traffic Center.